This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. Hi, this is Annie Grace, and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. Um, I am here today with someone really special because her name is Catherine Gray, and Catherine Gray is an author. Her book is just out. I have it right here with me, and I am very lucky to have the uh, early edition because I was actually um, able to give an endorsement for the book in the beginning of this book, which was such an honor because it's Catherine is just such a brilliant book, and I'm I'm thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, well, I'm delighted to be here. You know, I'm a huge fan of yours, so um, I'm just so happy. Oh, that's so cool. Um, so I would love to, so your book is The Unexpected Joy of Being Sober, and I think that's what's just so cool is the title gives me like almost goosebumps because it's like, wow, that is so true. It is so unexpected and such a joy. And I think it's something that, at least for me, I wish I would have sort of known decades ago almost like why couldn't I have gotten this message sooner um but people like you writing this book is getting it out to the to the masses and obviously that's what this podcast is all about but I'd love to start if it's okay with you just kind of with your story and so you know kind of who were you when you were just kind of caught up in it and before you even started questioning your drinking but you know we're obviously drinking just like everybody does and and kind of talk to us a bit about who you were Okay, great. I'll so I'll go back to my twenties because that was when it all kind of started. Um, oh, it's suddenly like a million degrees in here. I'm just going to take this off. Um, I'm I'm a little bit nervous. Um, so basically, in my twenties, I was a writer and an editor, and I worked for Cosmopolitan and Glamour magazine. And basically, that it was like the coolest job ever but it meant that I could go to free drinks parties every night if I wanted to. And I did want to, so I went to them all. Um, but I was just your archetypal party girl. You know, I was mostly holding it together at work, but, you know, I was getting promoted. I was doing quite well, but I started falling apart in my late 20s. Um, probably when I was working at Glamour mostly, but I'd already started falling apart before that. You know, I was calling in sick to work. I was having to tell lies to get out of trouble. I was incapable of being faithful to anyone because I was snogging men in blackouts and my friends would tell me afterwards and I would be horrified. Um, I was awful with money. I'm still pretty bad with money. But, you know, I would just spend my last £30 on going to a nightclub rather than buying food um I was just a mess and so I, I started trying to control alcohol haha <laughs> um I had this like beautiful golden notebook and I started a unit diary in it which um you know alcohol units it's the same in the states right where you yeah we um, don't talk about it quite that way but um it's basically like an ounce or something is a unit or Oh, okay. Yeah, I think probably a shot, like yeah, 25 okay. mil is a unit. Um, so my aim in this like golden notebook was to keep my drinking to just three nights a week. Um, so take four nights off and keep my intake. I was really into wine. Wine was my thing at that point. Later I would switch because I thought wine was the problem, not my drinking. <laughs> uh, so to keep it under three bottles of wine a week, 
and like I thought this is going to do it like this notebook is going to fix my drinking um and it was such a bust it just didn't work at all um every week I was drinking more than three nights I was mostly drinking five nights a week occasionally I think one week I took three nights off drinking and I was like woohoo but that was one week out of many many weeks and my intake was sliding out of control you know some weeks I could manage 40 units but most weeks it was 50 units or 60 units so I knew there was a problem so I stopped keeping the diary (laughs) that was my solution and I moved to other ways to try and moderate like I banned going to the free drinks parties and just spent spent a lot more money on booze um I got a gym membership I thought going to the gym would fix it it didn't because then I started telling myself that the treat should be wine after the gym um and just every effort then I I switched to cider because I thought that would be better than wine because it was wine that was the problem and that didn't work either so it was becoming clear that you know it wasn't I wasn't able to moderate it just wasn't something within my grasp and my behavior was becoming more and more and so how did how did that feel um frustrating because I'd always been able to if I wanted something I could generally get it like I wanted to get into magazines I managed it through persistence and hard work I just thought if I apply my intellect to this I'll be able to sort it out and that didn't happen um so I was confused I didn't think I was addicted I just thought it I needed to find the willpower to sort it out and I just hadn't managed to source it yet um and were you talking to anybody about it at the time like your friends or anything or was it just kind of nobody knew about the golden notebook and you were on your own nobody knew about the golden notebook I I thought if I told them then that would start a chain of events where I would have to stop. So I kept it completely locked down. And people made jokes about my drinking all the time. And I would laugh it off and, you know, just do the party girl persona. I love drinking. You know, I don't get hangovers. I got crushing hangovers. But I managed to hide them mostly. Um, So, yeah, it it was really lonely time because I couldn't tell anybody about the struggle because I didn't want to quit ultimately I wanted to find the thing that would help me control it and I just couldn't find it and then I was I was a nightmare I was I was behaving really badly because I was always hung over or drunk basically uh, I mean there was the odd day when I wasn't hung over but I was pretty much hung over from the night before the night before um, and I was snippy and melodramatic and just not a good person to be around so my boyfriend at the time dumped me shortly after my 30th birthday we'd been together three years and I was really in love with him and that's when I really started to unravel and I started drinking by myself like I stopped going out just started staying in and drinking um and then it was another three years of drinking so I quit when I was 33 and things got really dark for me so I'm just so happy that I quit. So, yeah. And so when you were thinking of quitting, like, so you, you quit, um, you wanted to moderate so badly and there has to be a reason because you thought that quitting would be quite 
horrible, I imagine. Is that is that sort of true? How did you think? Absolutely. I thought I was never going to go out again. Um, I thought I was. I, I thought alcohol was the thing holding me together. Um, I was aware that I had some social anxiety. I didn't know how much until I quit. Um, I thought alcohol was the source of all the fun in my life and all the bonding and all the laughter and all the, you know, good relationship times. And I thought without it, life would just be joyless and boring and dreary and lifeless. So I wanted to do anything I could to hang on to it. Yeah, no, totally. I think that's very common. I mean, I certainly felt that way as well. It was as if, okay, what would, what would the point almost be? Because it seemed like such a big thing. Um, So when you were thinking about this and realizing, okay, I need to, I need to actually quit. um, I have a friend, Mary, and she described that moment of just like feeling just completely down and depressed about it. But then was there, was there a specific moment for you that was like, okay, this is, this is the thing. Like there's no other option at this point. Um, I think there was loads of different moments, really. It um, probably hundreds of moments like that, because it wasn't a, a case of me saying, right, I'm going to quit. And then me quitting. It was a case of me saying, I'm going to quit. And then five months of slipping and sliding and, not getting it but putting together more and more time so incrementally getting more towards sobriety um I've forgotten your question (laughs) so how did I was just wondering if there was any specific moment but I actually have a different question um because there's a lot of people especially like you know I have these great Facebook communities online and and um I've recently started something called the alcohol experiment which is just like a 30-day break and a lot of people really, you know, they either can go the 30 days, but then they fall right back into it, or they can't get past the first week. Or, you know, people, and I, and I think this is really positive, people have started to look at it as, okay, um, I read a post yesterday that was basically like, in all of 2017 so far, I've had 42% sobriety, which considering in 2016, it was 0%, like is a huge improvement I mean it's massive but we look at that I mean it's only I think recently that people start to look at that as okay this is I'm on the path and I and I just like to hear from you when you were starting to piece together sober days or were you starting to um you know have a little bit more like how did that journey feel like did you feel like oh I'm just failing was it this if I can't do it all the way I'm just messing it all up because in hindsight, I'm sure you can see it was all part of the journey, right? But like in the yeah. moment. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I felt like such a failure. I didn't know why I couldn't get it. Um, each time it happened, it became more depressing. And I didn't think I was ever going to get there. But actually, I emailed somebody yesterday about this who contacted me on Instagram. I think it's a bit like yoga. So I've been going to yoga for I don't know, three or four years. And you know, crow pose, the one where you have to like balance on your hands and it's really difficult. And I thought, I'm never going to get this. You know, every time I tried to do it, I was nowhere near doing it. I fell on my face. You know, I failed every time. And then one day, suddenly out of the blue, I could do it and now I can do it easily. But I didn't realize it, but I was inching towards it 
just slowly, slowly, slowly. And then one day it clicked. And sobriety is the same. It's exactly the same. If you just keep trying, then eventually it will click. Um, you can't fail if you keep trying. You know, it's like, it's just the same thing. Um, so I wish I'd known back then that I was inching closer and closer towards it because then I wouldn't have felt like an abject failure. But yeah, you can't, unfortunately, time travel back and tell yourself that. But I'd like all of your viewers to know that, that they're getting closer and closer with each attempt. Um, and just one day it will happen. Yeah. You least expect. That's brilliant. I love that. It's so encouraging. That's so positive. And it's so true. Mm. Um, so what was your, the one moment? Um, well, I went on a bender. Um, I went to Venice for a press trip for Stylist magazine because I was writing a travel article for them. And basically, I knew that press trips were really boozy, but I wanted to go to Venice. And I put going to Venice above, like, protecting my sobriety, which was at that point about 30 days. And the first night I managed to not drink, but I just felt like, you know, I, my fingernails were, like, gripping the table. I was it was so hard and the second night I allowed myself to be cajoled into drinking and then it just turned into a week of absolute messy drinking um and it was just I just had enough I just had enough of that cycle and I realized that because in the end on the last day I was drinking mouthwash to try and get some alcohol into my system and then I started feeling unwell and I was Googling, can mouthwash kill you? And yes, it can. It's toxic. You know, and I realized I don't want to die. This is not what I want. So it was, you know, a really searing moment where I was like, I want to rescue myself here. I don't want to die. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years for me to die from alcohol, but it will eventually happen. I will die prematurely from it. Um, so it was a real clear moment where I just knew that I was at a fork in the and I felt like it was either continue drinking and get ill and lose my friends and family and my career go down the pan or really, you know, quit. And But I didn't know that time it was going to stick. So that's the thing. You don't know when it's going to stick. Um, but one day it just does. That's so interesting. So um, you didn't feel like, okay, this is it. This is the time. It just, did anything feel different about this time? Or or was it just, okay, you just were going to get back on, on the horse and then all of a sudden you're at 30 days and 60 and 90 and it just started. Like, what was that journey like? I think, okay, there probably, there was something different about this time. And this time was, I was, I just became obsessed with reading about sobriety and listening to podcasts and poured all of my energy into it I treated it almost like a full-time job and I guess that was probably what made it stick um because I became fixated on it and just really interested in reading about the brain and finding other sober people um through Facebook groups and meeting up with them eventually and I just devoted all the energy that I had to drinking and hiding my drinking to finding sobriety 
So I guess that was the thing that made it stick. Don't know whether I'm making sense. <laughs> no, totally. That makes so much sense. And so, um, what in those early days, like, did you still find it quite challenging? I mean, you talked about like gripping the table and fingernails, and you know, was it still that way after this this kind of one trip to Venice, or was it? Did it get easier? It did get easier, but it was difficult. I mean, I think the thing is, the first time you do anything sober is the hardest and then it just gets easier and easier after that so the first time I went to a gig the first time I went to a birthday party in a pub the first time I went to a wedding was hard it was hard I mean of course it's hard you haven't done that for I hadn't done it for 21 years sober I I honestly hadn't been to a party sober um so if you look at anything, you know, if you try to suddenly change the way you do something, it's going to be difficult. It would be like trying to write with your left hand if you're right-handed. You know, you've, it, it's just about learning a new skill in a way, like learning how to do things. Um, but I have finally had some hope, I think, because I found all these sources, resources that I hadn't known about before. Um where I just really felt optimistic and um, I was reading loads of cool books like yours um, and yeah listening to interviews from people who really were convincing me that life was going to be better on the other side so I think it's all about finding the hope and finding other people to give it to you in a way that's one of the key things yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, the more it's like you don't have any of your own experiences, so you don't have any knowledge about what it will be like. Everything is is scary the first time. Then you go and you start to build experiences, you know, but it, at first you're almost, um, what's the word, you're living vicariously through other people's experiences, through other people saying like this will be just just feeling, I think what you said is, is really true, feeling enough hope just to try right just to say okay I'm going to try because often that's when people cave in is at that first you know trip to Venice or the first wedding or the first whatever because you are looking at it like I can't do this instead of I'm just going to try this and then if it's totally awful I'm going to give myself permission to like you know admit that it's totally awful but I'm going to try it you know and so I think that you need sort of that hope to just try um, Definitely. And so what about, what did your friends, like, especially in your career, you know, quite a boozy career, so did I had a boozy career as well. Um, how did people react? I, there was only one of my friends who really um, said, that's a great decision, good for you, I'm, you know, brilliant. And that was my best friend. Um, and I think that was because we'd lived together for two years. Um, and she'd really seen how bad my drinking was. Whereas the rest of my friends, um, pretty much all of them said, you're not that bad. Come on, Kat, you're not that bad. And I was like, yes, I am. You have you have had to peel me off the floor and pull me into taxis and remind me of what I did, remind me of how we got home. And, um, you know, one of my friends even called me a fakeaholic for a while. <laughs> they just didn't believe it um I didn't fit their 
you know, analytics looks like or how analytics behaves, even though it was blatantly obvious to some people in my life, like my mum and dad had both sent me letters the year that I quit saying that they were really worried about my drinking and would help me in any way that they could. Um, so, yeah, my friends didn't really get it. But then I started telling them what I'd been doing, like morning drinking to stop the shakes, things like that. And then they became supportive. They understood then because I'd kept so many things secret from them that, of course, they didn't get it. They thought I was fine because I was trying to brazen it out and trying to pretend I was okay, even though I really wasn't. So it was, yeah, just my best friend. She knew. <laughs> Everyone else didn't. Well, that's that's interesting. And then so what about sort of co-workers and social life? How did that kind of, how did you navigate that? Well, I'm freelance, so I don't really have any colleagues. No, nice. um, I do, I, I've since come out on Facebook and Instagram, so loads of colleagues that worked with me at Cosmo and Glamour and all those magazines um, now know. And my ex-boss at Cosmo said something to me which was really interesting. She said, I had no idea but now you've told me that, that makes a lot of sense. Hmm. Because all these things where she'd been like, why is it, what's up with Kath? Like, why is she behaving like this? Suddenly it fell into place. Um, and I've had nothing but lovely messages and support since I came out on social media. And like, I mean, everyone in my life already knew, but people I hadn't seen for five, six, seven years had no idea. And I've had lovely messages. So I, there was nothing to be scared of. I was so scared of people finding out and now they know and they're all really lovely. So in fact, they'd probably like me more because they're like, oh yeah, that's why she was such an, like, a, such an annoying colleague. That's why she kept calling in sick or like not being able to make it through meetings properly. And, you know, I think it explains bad behavior um, that they couldn't explain before. Sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, that yeah. totally makes sense. So it sounds like, um, you know, if you could, if you could tell yourself from the person that was really afraid of quitting drinking and afraid of all those things you said early on when you were talking that it was just, you know, life wouldn't be any fun and it would just be miserable. And it was the only thing keeping you together. If you could go back and sort of say, Hey, Kat, like, this is what it's really like, you know, what would you tell her? Oh, no, you've frozen. Uh, can you repeat the question? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so if you, am I Sorry. fine now? <laughs> yeah, so I'm, no if I'm going back, oh, Yeah, so I'll repeat it. But did you, um, you can hear me now? Or are we yes, still frozen? Okay, good. <laughs> okay, cool. So um, early when we were talking, you were saying stuff like, before you stopped drinking, you felt like it was the only thing holding you together. And it was really the only thing that brought joy and fun into the life. And, you know, if you could go back and tell that, that person say, you know, Hey cat, like this is what it's like, you know, what would you tell her now from your perspective today? Um, well, I would say that all her fears are unfounded. Um, but I understand why she's afraid because, Society really gives sobriety, portrays it as really, really dull. And there's things shared on Facebook and Instagram all the time that are like, you know, there's a reason why sobriety and so boring sound almost exactly the same. 
and sober what good friends don't let you know it's it's just the reading cards are always about how awful it is to be sober how brilliant it is to be drunk there's just messages all over the place in tv and films um everywhere that being drunk is fun and being sober is not fun so i would say i understand why you're afraid because you've been told this over and over and over in a thousand different ways through alcohol advertising everything um but it's not like that it's so not like that it's amazing and you'll be able to do all the things that you could do before you just won't feel terrible the next day and you won't lose hours where you don't remember what you did or what you said and then get paranoid the next time you see that person you won't have to spend all your money on booze you can spend it on traveling um you know everything in your life will get better without question you just don't know it yet and you can't imagine it so yeah that's what I'd say yeah and that's very much like the title of your book like the unexpected you know um so why yeah can you talk a bit about sort of why you um chose that title um well I just felt like it summed it up really because I thought, okay, I'll get sober, you know, I'll be less of a nightmare, I'll have, I'll be able to keep my career together, I'll keep my family and friends, but I will be dull, (laughs) and my life will be dull, but, you know, I'll get these things in return. So I didn't think it would be so euphoric. I didn't think that, I didn't realise that when you numb out, because alcohol is, you know people use it to numb things they use it if they have a bad day at work they come home they open a bottle of wine they numb that stress and it does work to a certain degree but you numb out the good things as well because you I really don't think that you properly feel joy when you're drunk you may like laugh more easily or be up for doing the conga or whatever but you're not really feeling it because it's not truly authentic um so Everything feels much more acute now, whether that's sorrow or joy, um, if that makes any sense. But I just want everyone to know that it doesn't suck. It's actually brilliant and there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, it is difficult. Of course it is because it's, you know, you're going against a societal norm. Um, People are going to want, they're going to ask questions, which is one of the things that I think needs needs to change. People should just be allowed to not drink and not give an explanation. Um, But it'll be really, really worth it. And you'll feel so much better physically. You know, everything about my body feels better now. I didn't, like, sober sleep. Like, who knew? I used to wake up several times a night needing to drink water or go to the loo or, you know, I couldn't have imagined how good sober sleep would feel. just everything functions better because your body does not react well to having a neurotoxin put into it four or five times a week in binges it really doesn't like it and it reacts by not working properly so yeah I mean does that make any sense yeah no totally (laughs) it makes all the sense that's great okay good um 
So you, you used a lot of different, you know, you said groups and books and can you just give some of those, um, some of, well, first of all, I recommend, I've read Catherine's book and it is excellent. So I recommend getting this book as a great first step because the, it's not only just such an engaging story, but it's also very, very practical. So there are so many things within your book that I think are just tangible that you can like take and do like very specific, uh, which I think is great. I think it's so helpful. So I think this is a book that isn't just going to be a memoir. Memoirs are, are nice. You can relate to people. You don't feel so alone. But this book is so much more than that because there's actual um, substance and actionable items, which is very cool. Uh, but in addition to your book, obviously, and then in addition to my book, um, which thank you, I'm so glad that you read it and it was helpful for you. But what other resources uh, can you point listeners to? Okay. Um, in terms of books, my top five are yours, as you know. Um, I'm Wasted by Sasha Scoblick. That was the first book that really gave me a lot of hope because she focuses on the sobriety as well as the drinking. I think a lot of memoirs are about dark drinking days rather than, and then it ends. What about the happy ever after? Um, and she goes into the happy ever after, which I really like about that book. And she's a fantastic writer. Um, I also really like to kick the drink easily by Jason Vale, which is not, the most amazingly written book, but he dismantles all the myths around, you know, sobriety makes you sexy, sobriety, uh, sorry, drinking makes you sexy, drinking makes you funny, drinking is a social lubricant, you know, he really effectively takes those apart and makes you think about things differently. Um, so that was a game changer for me. Um, I love Dry by Augustine Burroughs. It's just amazing. Um, and look at my bookshelf. Um, what's the other one? Blackout by Sarah Heffler. That's brilliant too. Um, so all of those I would recommend. Um, but yeah, I wanted practical, specific things that I could grab onto, which is why I've made mine like that. And yours is definitely like that as well. Uh, oh, and other other resources. So podcasts. Um, I listen to The Bubble Hour a lot every night in the first couple of months. Um, I listen to Home podcast a lot. Um, Since Right Now is good as well. Um, so those were, oh, The One You Feed, sort of self-improvement and why we do things and how uh, the mind works. And it's just really fascinating. Things like, little things like I procrastinate. When I procrastinate, I'm more likely to think about drinking. So how can I stop procrastinating? You know, it's such an all-encompassing thing. And the one you feed goes into all of those things. I think that's it. That's awesome. That's, <laughs> that's great. That's a huge list. Very helpful. I'm sure people will really appreciate it. Yeah, is there anything else you want to sort of say or leave with or any last advice? Um, let me have a look at my notes. <laughs> Yeah, I do want to say one thing. So when I was drinking, I had to, well, I felt like I had to lie all the time to cover things up. And because of that, I felt constantly terrified that I was going to be busted for lying about food poisoning to get out of work or lying about where I'd slept one night when actually I slept at a random person's house 
because I went back to a house party. Um, and that's one of the best things about being sober is I don't, I can just be honest because I don't do that kind of stuff anymore, um, which feels so good. It's luxuriously good. Um, so that's one of the big pluses that I didn't actually touch on. Oh yeah, and I want to talk about a little bit about society. So I do think things are going to change because here in Britain, I don't know whether it's the same in the States, but there's been a 40% rise in millennials choosing to be sober, which is awesome. Um, there's all these sober bars popping up. Um, there's a few in London. There's these sober raves called Morning Gloryville, which are huge. They have like 900 people attending them and people love them. Um, so I think it's a, it's a movement. Like we're on the threshold of a big, big social change. And there's not just my book coming out in Britain in December. There's three others coming out as well. Oh, wow. So That's amazing. clearly publishers know this is a trend. And it's gonna, I think it's going to explode next year. I think it's going to be a huge thing. Um, I'm hopefully setting up something called Sober Spring with a partner that's yet to be determined where instead of, because we have dry January, do you have that? Um, loosely, not as formal as in the UK, but. Okay, cool. So I reckon it takes at least 90 days for people to see what it's actually like, because for me, the first 30 days were the hardest, like absolutely the hardest. So it's like people do the hard bit without the good bit. It's like doing the start of a run without like the endorphins that kick in like a mile in. It's like just doing the slog at the start without... Yeah actually and it they've shown that it takes 66 days for a habit to bed in so 30 days isn't long enough I reckon so I'm trying to set up this sober spring where people do 90 days off so yeah I'm excited about that oh that would be really cool that's great very cool thank you for the chat I really enjoyed it yeah me too thank you so much this has been great it's so nice to have you on and congratulations on the book coming out and I think you're absolutely right I think we're at the threshold of um, some major society changes. And I think just getting to the yeah. point where you can drink or not without being questioned about it would be huge. But I think that will just be one yeah. of the one of the pieces. Yeah, it will change. I think in five years time, 10 years time, it will be as normal to be sober as it is to be vegetarian. Yeah. And I think sober bars all over the place. I think people are beginning to realize, like, is the price of this worth it? you know, is it worth this, you know, it might take me from feeling stressed and anxious to feeling relaxed quickly, but it's a cheat, it's like a shortcut, and there's a price to pay. And I think people are beginning to figure that out and question it. And anyway, I'm rambling. <laughs> no, it's so true. It's so true. I love it's it. About it. Yeah, anyway, it's great. Thank you so much. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. This has been Annie Grace with This Naked Mind Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. You can learn more at thisnakedmind.com. And please remember to rate, review, and subscribe as it really helps us spread the word.